Hey chaps, greetings, happy Friday, a good Friday to be alive. So um, yeah, I was uh, hitting on some stuff this morning in my quiet time. I uh, actually this last couple of days has been quite a a um, a thought, deep thought provoking couple of days. I've been thinking a lot, you know, just about uh, morality and economy, you know, trying to work a business and uh, the stress of that. And, um, you know, Lord, what are, what am I doing here with, with my work, with my purpose? You know, who am I? What is my identity? I think to a certain extent, a lot of us struggle with a nihilism uh, on, on two accounts. Uh, I think, you know, number one is the wage, the debt and wage slavery cycle that majority of men at least start life in or find themselves in. Um, that can be a, a, a soul grinding thing to work out and figure out. So that's the income side, you know, of, of trying to create an income, uh, you know, cause I think a lot of, a lot of Christianity, a lot of church rhetoric is that, you know, be a faithful man, work your job, uh, money's not a you know money's filthy and evil and dirty and all this stuff but you look at it you know 95 percent of christians are enslaved uh economically because of of their inability to earn uh in a way that would free them to fulfill their purpose work or, or to pursue purpose uh work now obviously that's you know, it doesn't, that's not a limiting factor. You know, I think there's this, a lot of it is just fear, fear of stepping out into our purpose. Uh, but finances are a huge part of our life. I think that's why Jesus talks so much about money. That's why Proverbs talks so much about money. That's why the patriarchs are inseparable from wealth and land uh, and work and power. And so I think we have this nihilism in our, in our culture, in our society where, guys are struggling to create wealth and the church isn't encouraging them either. Uh, majority of the, the popular church isn't encouraging men to create wealth. Um, and so we struggle in this slavery space. Uh, and then the second nihilism is to do with family and community, you know, on a, on a micro level, uh, you know, we are, Family is our DNA. We we are DNA hardwired to to be fruitful and multiply, to to be husbands, to be fathers, and you know that's a it's a struggle uh, when you know for whatever reason people can't have children or they they've you know capped themselves to having one child because the culture indoctrinated them or whatever or or they've had children and they're not a father they're they're off at work and and don't actually raise their own children they send their children off to women who hate them and hate their God to be raised, you know, by, by these pagans. So you, you're effectively not a father. And I think that grinds on your soul. Um, or if you don't have children, that definitely grinds on your soul. This, this whole thing of legacy of what is the purpose of our life, if not to pass it on to the next generation. Uh, and then the other part of that is, is community on, on the micro level of we've been so, pulled away and, and, and divided, uh, or sorry, not divided, but disconnected from our local economy. 
you know, so rather than knowing who owns the hardware store and knowing who owns the coffee shop and knowing who owns, you know, all the places you frequent, it's now big box stores where the person you're dealing with is getting paid 10 bucks an hour and the money goes straight out of your community and there's no camaraderie, there's no connection, there's no belonging. And on the, on the, on the meta level, uh, civilization, right? We unfortunately are in the phase of empire decline of decadence and decline uh, or perhaps the beginning stages of pioneering but in our lifetimes we will never we will never experience civilization we will never experience the old stories and tales of civilization you know of the last 200 years of morality and belonging and meaning and significance of living in a civilization uh, and you know, that's okay. That's, that's our lot in life. It's, it's, we have the privilege of being pioneers. You know, we have the privilege of being the ones to end the, the decadence stage. And we have the privilege, the glory of being the pioneers. You know, I think about that with the Puritans who, who landed in New England, uh, and the, um, the Huguenots who landed in South Africa were pioneers of a, of a new civilization, of a new meta community of a meta culture, but they never got to, you know, like 90% of the, well, I don't know, 80% of the, the Puritans died in the first year and mortality was huge. And, you know, it took a while to establish something. And, and we are in that, you know, the, the health wise, maybe not, but, but the cultural hostility, it's on a, it's on a, on a, a whole plane. It's as dangerous culturally, uh, economically, socially, uh, as the Puritans faced physically. Um, so, so that can, can bring a lot of nihilism, uh, into play. And so this is where, where I was just hitting on this last few days of like, Lord, you know, what is the work you want me to do? Money's, you know, money's an income, income work is important. It's very important. Uh, but I want to work. I want to know if I died, you know, died this week, died next month, died at the end of this year that I've at least gone hard at something that is is also a purpose work like lord what is my purpose and it's that whole thing of what are your passions what are your talents who are the people that are on your heart um and obviously you know one of my one of my talents or one of my passions is encouraging men uh, and which men specifically it's you know i'm i'm very much i love america i love the anglosphere i love my anglo bros and it's like yeah this is my people but the moment i wrote that down i was like you know I'm sitting in a liberal frame. I'm in the Overton window that, you know, that, that poster that says it's okay to be white. And it's like, I could never share that. I could, Ooh, that's because we're sitting in their frame and their frame. The liberal frame is that white people are evil. White people are inherently uh, bad. And so to, to say that you like white people, that you like white culture, that you like being, you know, for myself, I like being an Anglo. I love my Anglo heritage. Uh, you know, I've, I've read some stuff about Cecil Rhodes, you know, to see that the dude was an absolute shyster. Uh, I've, you know, read some stuff on, on the crown, on, uh, on the, you know, the Royal families and all of their, uh, all of their, uh, the birth of Britain, uh, Winston Churchill himself, a huge shyster, but a, a very good book nonetheless. 
Uh, even a blind squirrel can hit a nut every now and then. Um, and uh, Lord Macaulay, History of England. It's a five-volume series. Leather-bound books. Very, very significant. That being said, you know, I love, I love my Englishness. And the fact that there are a bunch of high-level shysters who have absolutely trashed civilization, destroyed people groups, uh, you know, just shameful, like, yeah, Churchill ruined, you know, Churchill gave away the, the empire, he, he uh, the colonies, he gave away the colonies, he uh, very much was a warmonger, World War One, World War Two. he was hugely involved. And it's like, the dude, you know, single-handed, World War One was the end of Anglo civilization. There were obviously still a lag, you know, there, there was still, the body was still warm, uh, you know, right up till the 80s and 90s. But, you know, we're in this place where it's like, okay, like, I love my people. I love, I love my inheritance. I love my heritage. Paul says, you know, he's praying to the Lord for his Jewish compatriots. And he's like, Lord, like I would be, that I would be cursed that I could save my kin, my blood. He, he was a full blooded Jew. And he very much understood that the gospel was for everyone. The gospel was for the Nigerian eunuch or the Ethiopian eunuch. The gospel was for the Greek guy. The gospel was for the Roman guy. He very much was a, a the, the gospel is for all mankind. But he says something very interesting that, that he says, God, I wish that I was cursed, that the Jews would be saved. He's, he's, he's longing after his blood, his kinfolk, to understand that they would be brought into Christ-likeness, be, be saved from their sins, uh, find eternal salvation, and come into the likeness of, of Christ on earth. And be totally still Jewish. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, all right, now all the Jews have to move to Greece or all the Greece, the Greeks have to move to Jerusalem. There's none of this like, all right, guys, now that we are Christians, we, we come in and, and we have to move this whole people group there and move this whole people group there. Like that's not, that's not a biblical thing that, and that's what we see today is we see huge movements of people groups into these uh, places that are are now being forced into a demographic warfare because of democracy. So the way I often put it, DVG, scripture talks about men from every tongue, tribe, and nation coming to know Jesus and not the dissolution of those tribes, tongues, and nations. Full on man. Yep. That's it. You know, that's my prayer. My prayer is nationhood for every tribe and tongue. Every tribe and tongue. And Christ for every nation. You know, that, that's our prayer. That should be the prayer of the church. The prayer of the church should be nationhood for every tribe and tongue and Christ for every nation. So the reason I say this is the way I often put it is marriage, right? I love my wife. I've chosen my wife ab above every other woman. Do I believe that she is better? I have to. I have to believe that she is the best for me. Otherwise, I'd be out of faith. 
right? Once you make, it's that whole thing of like, do you believe in the one? It's like, yeah, once you get married, she's the one. You have to believe that. You have to live that out, right? So that doesn't mean that I now hate every other woman and want to go and abuse every other woman and and want to go and curse and, and, oh, I just have these thoughts of how I hate every other woman. It's like, dude, no one, no one has the time of day. No one has the energy to think about doing bad to every other woman I see every day. It's like, I've got my own life. I've got my own wife. We'd like to have our own children. We'd like to have our own house. And I'm content. I'm happy. But this, this modern Christianity says, now, Scott, you bloody bigot, listen here. Unless you love every woman like you love your wife, you are a bloody bigot. Bloody bigot, man. Yeah. So, so that's now, now take that to race, right? I love the Anglos. I love my people. I love my heritage. It doesn't mean I go around hating the Zulus, hating the Germans, hating the Japs, hating the Chinese. It's like, guys, I don't have time for that. I don't have energy for that. I love my people. There's some issues in house that we need to clean up, right? And there may be some abusers who are abusing, you know, if, if some guy comes over to abuse my wife, like, there's going to be problems. And yeah, I'm going to deal with some anger and some violence and some, there's going to be some, some issues, you know, and, th and that's how you deal with violations, abuse violations. And likewise for the British, you know, we, we went and, and, you know, did a whole bunch of stuff to the Afrikaners. We went and did a whole bunch of stuff to, to the Zulu, obviously all over the world. We went and did stuff. People were right to fight back. People were right to, to push back and be like, you're not abusing my people. You're not taking my place. You're not stealing from me. Yeah. Like, fully right. Likewise, today, modern day, nations have a right to reject globalism, to reject bankers, to reject commercial squalor, to reject infinite immigration, to reject this, you know, total, uh, it's, it's the inversion of, you know, Satan can't beat the church. So he then goes in and inverts and he says, you know, so the church ought to be you know, it's, hey, we love everybody, right? We accept everybody into the church. So then Satan says, okay, let's do that for politics. Let's put into politics this Christianness, you know, and, and then they go and say, oh, it's all these Christian nationalists who are white supremacists and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, all right, let's look at, let's look at it this way. If a Japanese guy said, I love my country, I wanted to stay Japanese and we went over there as missionaries and we led them to the Lord. And you know, that, that's the whole object of mission work, right? Mission work. This, and this is where I, I come with my whole uh, title of this video of like the, the, the last unreached people group, you know, cause you always have these churches where people are sending out missions like guys, we've got to pray for the last unreached people groups and some little random pygmy tribe in Africa or wherever. And it's like, cool. So we, we get a, a an English guy, an Anglo guy, American, whatever, Western guy and his wife and his kids. And we ship them off into the jungle and they go start a school and they start a clinic and they start a church and they start discipling the tribe. Uh, and people are like, wow, that's amazing. What's the, what's the goal though, right? The goal is to get these people into the likeness of Christ and then leave them alone, right? You want them to carry the gospel acts, uh, acts 17 or acts 27, but it's like, God ordained boundaries that we, that we might find God, we might grope for him amongst our people, right? So, so the object 
of going to Japan and sharing the gospel is not that we would now just keep importing Western boys to come in and be the pastors and be the, the Christians, you know, cause, cause that's the, the, in the, the insane supremacy is that we need a white guy to teach them the gospel. And it's like, no, like we want these Japanese to grow into maturity and grow into fullness. And then we're not needed and we can go back home, you know, cause now ironically, this is where England and, and America are England and America were sending out gospels. There was the light of the world sending out missionaries to, to preach the gospel. And uh, ironically, you know, now Africa is sending missionaries to America. Uh, Asia is sending missionaries to America because America has lost the way at home because they're so busy uh, trying to enact Christian love in a political way when your enemies who are not, uh, they don't play by the same rules. They're not held by the same accountability. just come in and subvert and, and they take over the apparatus and then kick the Christians out. And so here we go, we, we come to this point where white boys are the last unreached people group for the gospel. Why I say that is if you look at the way that liberal culture, you know, this, this huge slippery slope, the Overton window, uh, whatever metaphor you want to look at, it has so got to the place now where, where every other ethnicity is allowed to have an identity. It's allowed to have a consciousness. It's allowed to have a boundary, right? So no one minds if someone says, yeah, I love Japan. I love that I'm Japanese. Uh, I'm a Japanese supremacist. People would be like, cool. I, I love whatever that, uh, anim- I love anime or I love sushi. Like, yeah, Japanese supremacy, bro. Like you get white Japanese supremacists. Like no one, no one cares. You know, you get Mexican supremacists. You get, pick your Jewish, you get Israeli supremacists, Jewish supremacists, half of them are in the church. No one cares, right? But the moment a white boy says it's okay to be white, we have, we have three things coming up, grievance, condemnation, and punishment. And, and this is why I say the gospel, right? Is it's a, it's a gospel issue because the gospel is the good news to the poor it is the binding up of the brokenhearted. It is freedom for the captive. Okay. What are white boys captive to? They're captive to grievance, right? Everybody has a grievance against white boys. Uh, you know, slavery, uh, empire, conquest, colonialism, you know, throw everything in there that the rest of the world does. But, but white people were just, you know, they're, they're the ones who have stuff to get, right? We, we have societies that are worth, uh, consuming. And so grievance says in your heart, you owe me. These people owe me. I, I, it's, it's murder in your heart, right? It's this whole thing of like, God, why did you bless Abel? And then Cain had resentment and grievance against Abel and against God. Right. And so murder, and I'm going to take his stuff. And it's like, you don't get the stuff because you murdered the guy and you know, the fruit of his labor is like, okay, he's dead. He's gone. And now you carry a curse, you know? So, so that's an issue of, of its own, but the gospel comes and says anything that, that the past generations have committed, have the sins that have committed. It's like, we want to figure out what the blessing of the Lord is. Right. So, so if black guys have a grievance against white guys, it's like, do you believe you're blessed? Do you believe you're blessed? Even no matter how many white guys curse you, 
And that's why for us, for white boys, it's like my message to white boys is we can't carry grievance. We can't carry grievance against the bankers. We can't carry grievance against the politicians. We can't carry grievance against all of these uh, other ethnic groups who, who have grievance towards us. Why? The gospel says in Matthew 18 that unless you forgive others, God cannot forgive you. I apply that very literally. Unless you can bless your enemies, God cannot bless you. Right. And so we are not like, yes, for the majority of of, you know, unsaved uh, white guys, grievance is very real. Like guys are angry. They're in despair. There's there's nihilism, black pill, just a lot of anger. Right. For this current situation. And, and rightly so. Righteous anger, even, you know, if you could call uh, uh, unsaved people having righteous anger, but but their cause is righteous. Right. They love their people. They love their place. And from every angle, they're being told you're evil, you're bad, no matter what you do. Uh, and if you even decide to like your people, that's a sin, that's evil, that's bad. And so there's this buildup of resentment in the white guys. And of course, guys act out on it. You know, there, there is a, you know, even I, I, I say this with my wife of like, you know, you look at, at, you know, coming from South Africa where there's 15 different tribes all competing for the one ring to rule them all. That's what democracy is, right? Democracy in a homogenous society, democracy is fine because, you know, we at hopefully at scale and it's all kinfolk. So it's like, it's very much a thing of like, I can call you out without fear of being called racist. Cause it's like, Hey man, you're a douche. You shouldn't be mayor. Uh, you're embezzling money or you're a scam, blah, blah, blah. And, and people can fight it out and hash it out. The moment you bring in, diversity to to democracy it's it becomes it becomes a number one i've got to look out for my group and my group's interests and then number two i use uh you know the only group that doesn't have in group preference are white boys right we have been so taught to favor everybody else and then everybody else comes in and and is like oh you're gonna give me everything sweet and i don't have to share back sweet like i don't blame them like I would do, I would do the same thing if that were the the deal, right? Because it's it's human nature of like take what you can take until someone pushes back. There's no pushback. There's no pushback. So when it comes to grievance, we cannot, as Christian boys and as you know, pastors or 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 mentors to young white guys, we can't let white boys hold grievance. Number one, it destroys you, and number two, you're going to end up wanting blood. You're going to put murder in your heart. And yes, everyone else has grievance towards us. Everyone else has murder towards us. But we don't, we don't, you know, someone was, was I read a tweet today. I was, I was digging up a whole bunch of stuff on the Overton window and the guy was, it was a brilliant tweet. He said that uh, hating white people is the glue that holds the big tent of the left together. You know, they're, they're so fractured and so in. Uh, they're so volatile, all the little factions on the left, that without one unifying enemy, white people, they would just fall apart. The left cannot hold without the glue of hating white people. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That that's a it's a it's a astute observation. What is the way out? Right? The way out for me is like, oh that, you know, because because immediately my, my grievance immediately says. You know, that's why white people can't be left alone. You know, if we exit an institution and they take it over, they need to follow us. 
Why? Because if they don't follow us, they will fall apart and they know that. So they follow us. It's like with Donald, right? He, he gets kicked out. He's kicked off Twitter. He's kicked out of the white house. He, the dude is functionally, he's a squib, no power whatsoever. And you know, I've, I'm, I'm done with news and politics and everything like this, but the news can't let go of him, right? Because he was the unifying thing that held together this crazy uh, alliance of fractured crazies. So they have to keep chasing him. It's the same with white people. If you're trying to exit, if you're trying to exit an institution or exit an area, they have to follow you. They can't leave you alone. And so I was like, man, but is that grievance thinking? Like, is that me thinking in grievance? And I was like, yeah, I, I think in a way, like, I don't want to give in to, here's the thing. I don't want to be someone who's like, always has my guard up, always has walls up, but living in South Africa, that's how you live, right? Every day could be a lost. If you, once you leave the gated compound and you're out on the streets, it's like, this is real life, right? It's war zone life. You know, I, uh, I've chatted a lot with, with us army veterans, guys who've come back from their tours. And they, they say like with their healing of coming back into society, they say there's three things that happen when you grow up in civilization in a safe place, there's three beliefs. I am good. People are good. The world is safe. You go to a war zone, you do some bad stuff. I'm bad. People have done some pretty bad stuff. They're dangerous. They're bad. And the world's not safe. You have to be on and so once you've become that and you re-enter society, you can't switch these off. And that's why veterans struggle, right? Because they're like, I'm bad. Everyone else is dangerous or bad. The world is dangerous or bad. And it's like, it, it, it's a change, right? And South Africa is a war zone. Why is it a war zone? Diversity in democracy, right? People are fighting for the one ring to rule it all. And poverty and violence, and that becomes a tool of democracy, you know, we've, we've seen that in America now, like no one would have thought that you'd have riots in the streets and looting and murder. And, uh, you know, you look at, at, at some of the, the very diverse cities and it's like the murder rates are through the roof, you know, it's a war zone. And so people start taking on an identity of I'm bad. People are bad. The world's dangerous, etc. So, so this is where, where the gospel comes in, right? Cause the gospel is primarily it's primarily an identity changing thing. You know, that's why often you'll, you'll see guys, you know, I, I see this with guys who, who get saved, right? Their face changes, their face softens. I don't know if you've seen this, but with guys who, who, because we, we carry grievance, we carry anger, we carry hatred, we carry trauma, we carry sadness and, and, and we have no peace, anxiety, and you tell that man, you come to him with the good news and you say, man, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. His blood shed for you washes you clean of your guilt, washes you clean of your shame. It brings you peace with God. Like God is, God doesn't want to punish you. God loves you, bro. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to bless you. Like that, that's Jesus, right? Deuteronomy 28, the blessings that come on obedience are from, because of Jesus' obedience right? Jesus is our righteousness. Like, bro, nothing you have done can eclipse what Jesus has done. Like you are, your cursing and your heaviness that you carry, the burden that you carry, you can roll that onto Jesus because he's not 
he's not offended by by you or, or unable to bear your burden. And so you see a guy come and confess and be like, Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. I confess these things that I'm holding on to. And I believe that you have made me clean. I believe that you have lifted my burden. I believe my spirit is now in union and marriage with you. The, the, the whole life changes. The identity has changed and, and their face softens. The, their lighter life, you know, and that's why you have these guys, like it's almost a personality change. It is a personality change. It's a personality change of I was cursed. I was punished. I am bad to I'm now a son. I'm now a king, right? Jesus is the king of kings. Who's the, we are the kings that he is king of. It's a, it's a changing of identity. It's a changing of personality. And so this is the gospel issue for us in the Western world, in the, in the, the white world, is we are so in the left's frame. They have framed us. They have memed us into believing that we are, we should take up arms of, of grievance and anger and hatred, and, and they want us to kill each other, right? It's, it's this, our, our enemy is in high places, you know? So it might be a certain tribe that is uh, predominantly doing all of the bad stuff in our communities. It might be a certain ethnicity that is doing all the bad stuff in our communities. But the answer is not a blood. It's not, it's not to take up arms and go and quench and go and avenge, right? The answer is, you know, so for instance, with the bankers, it's not to go and, and, and let blood run in the streets of, of Wall Street. It's to stop taking their loans. It's to stop buying their crap. It's to stop being addicted to their systems. It's to stop seeking their approval. The moment you realize that you're a son and a king and you're out, you're out of this uh, context, you're out of the circumstance that holds you down. You know, that's why you see these transformations. The, 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 the transformations of these guys, their face, you know, but now it starts going off like, wait, so the, the Lord doesn't want to punish me? So, so money is not evil? So the Lord wants me to have a hot wife. So the Lord wants me to have children. So the Lord wants me to have a, a home and property. So the Lord wants me to be blessed. That changes your whole life. It changes everything. It changes your environment, right? So no matter how many people curse me, I am blessed. Like, is that is that the deal? That if if they come at me one way, they'll, they'll retreat seven ways. Like, that's pretty cool. My whole life changes, right? I no longer allow myself to be abused. I no longer allow myself to be punished. I no longer allow myself to be condemned. And that's the issue we're facing right now, right? There's a punishment on white people, on white men specifically. It doesn't stop when we expel a certain ethnicity. It doesn't stop when we kill people and go to war over it. It stops when we stop allowing abuse, allowing punishment, when we set a boundary. And it's like, I'm not going to be punished. You, you can try. You can try punish me. You can try condemn me. You can try uh, hold grievance towards me. I'm blessed. No amount of cursing can can make me cursed. I'm so blessed. And it's it's that sort of it's that sort of critical mass of we're in such a critical mass right now of white people who believe. Please punish me. Punish me for my sins to God. Punish me for my sins to black people. Punish me for my sins to anyone who shrieks the loudest and, and comes up with some accusation. 
because people are so guilty. They're so guilty and shameful that they're like, yes, please punish me. Please punish me. White people are so bad. So it's all an identity issue when it comes to what has Jesus actually done? Does Jesus love white people? You know, a lot of churches wouldn't be able to say this. A lot of churches wouldn't be able to, you know, hey man, does Jesus love Japanese people? Oh yeah, Jesus loves Japanese people. Does Jesus love Jews? Oh yeah, Jesus loves Jews. Does Jesus love Indians? Yeah, yeah, yeah Jesus loves Indians. It's like, does Jesus love white people? It's like, hey, hey don't say that. Bro. Don't, don't, don't bring this race. Hey, don't bring this race stuff here to this church, please. This is, that's, uh, yeah. You know, it's an identity issue. That, that guy doesn't believe that person doesn't believe he's blessed, you know, and he believes that he can be canceled. You know, when God is your father, when God is your boss, when you are doing your father's work, the, the person who has to fire you is God, right? And so if you are so confident in the blessing of God on you, it's like, yeah, try cancel me, you know, try murder me. That's, that's what uh, Stephen and Paul and Peter and all these, these guys in the Bible are like, Try murder me. I'm going to carry on saying what I need to say. Try murder me. I'm going to carry on living the life that God has ordained for me to live. God is my protector. You know, uh, Genesis 15 or, or 18, uh, where Abraham, Abraham is so blessed and he believes it, right? He's just some desert idol worshiper who the Lord appears to and says, dude, I, I'm your shield. I'm your protector. The dude takes his 300 little army and he goes and he attacks four or five kings and sorts them out. And it's like, that's belief. You know, 300 dudes with radical belief, you you can do unstoppable things. It's all about radical belief. But you can have 10,000 people who believe they are cursed and they'll flee, they'll melt. You know, uh, Proverbs says that uh, the wicked flee when no one pursues. Why? Because your own conscience, your own shame is such a weakening factor in your life. And that's where we are as a civilization. We're a weak, you know, weak men create hard times. And strength comes by the gospel. Strength comes uh, through the blood of Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you guys. Number one, it's not a sin to love your heritage. It's not a sin to love your people. It's not a sin to want to live among your people. It's not a sin to prefer your wife over other ladies, right? There's a blessing on living together in, in a cultural harmony, right? You know, again, I would be insane if I went to Japan and I was like, yeah, you guys all need to learn English because, you know, I'm, I'm not going to learn Japanese. Uh, and you guys all need to wear suits because I'm not going to wear the whatever they wear. Uh, oh, yeah, and you all need to cook that fish because I'm not going to eat raw fish. Like, that would be insane to be a gospel issue for them to kick me out. Like, Christian Japanese would be right to kick me out. It's like, dude, you're a bad witness. Get the heck out of here. It's like, yeah, perfectly fine. It's the same way here. It's okay. Wherever our Anglo culture doesn't conflict with biblical values, biblical culture, it's okay, right? There's going to be as many tribes and tongues there are, there are going to be that many flavors of the gospel. The gospel doesn't change, right? This is where, unfortunately, the American church, the pop culture church is like, we are the only gospel, you know? And, and they think that their culture is the gospel. And it's like, no, you're all in debt. You're all in sexual immorality. You're all in fear of man. You're all obese. 
there's quite a, a lot of things going on there that are in direct conflict with biblical culture. There's a lot of great things. You know, I think that's why, I think that's why when you look at the founding fathers, there was such a biblical culture. They were so, so Anglo intertwined. You couldn't get apart from so biblical. And so that's why when, when cultures just drifted into secularism and liberalism and enlightenment values, people thought this was Christianity because that's all we knew. We are the Christians, right? American was synonymous for Christian. And so 200 years later, oh yeah, like everything goes, we're Christians. Like what we do determines Christianity. I was like, sorry guys, like that's not the case. I digress. I bless you guys. Um, yeah, any questions, any uh, of your guys' thoughts? I appreciate uh, DBG. Yeah, democracy and heterogeneous society leads to balkanization and civil war. My man, that's exactly what happened in the Balkans. So that's a great example, you know, with uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The reason it held it held together for, I don't know, what was it, 800 years or 1,000 years, however long the Austro-Hungarian Empire held together, was because it wasn't it was a, a monarchy. There was no democracy. There was no, we can all vote. So like the Germans, the German ethnicity was in charge and the Serbs and the Croats and the Bosnians were all subject. They were, they were subjected. And so that's why it held together. The moment you introduce some form of democracy or, or the, the monarch that's keeping everything in check uh, weakens, boom, it's on chaps, war for the ring. War for the one ring, either war for the one ring to, to control them all and failing that war to separate ourselves from being controlled by the other tribes. And the same thing is, is happening in South Africa, you know, where you put all, all these tribes in a, a geographical area. The British come along and say, oh, let's draw, you know, that's the Cecil Rhodes and, and all those baggers put a huge uh, political boundary around it an economic zone and we subjugate everybody else that's why that's why it worked superior firepower superior subjugation machinery right the afrikaners the brudel Brudel want secret society you know early 19 teens they they have this plan to infiltrate the machinery and capture it boom 30 years later by 948 the afrikaners now control the machinery that that controls all these other tribes. And again, the reason it worked is because there was no democracy, right? Boom, come to 1994. Uh, the changeover happens. Um, liberalism, enlightenment, rainbow nation. Woo-woo, amazing things. And the ANC comes into power. A democracy on the outside, but overwhelming uh, majority, right? 60-something percent of the vote, that's not a democracy. That's a super, uh, a super majority. And so every... Every other little tribe that was on the outside of that supermajority are now subjugated under this democratic uh, machinery. So, so nothing's really changed. It's just, it's just a cleaner. Uh, we we like, we like uh, democracy. Very nice. Our democracy. Protect our democracy. And so the same thing is now happening for America. Uh, de Tocqueville in 1835. Uh, he was a French. A uh, political philosopher, lawyer, he was traveling around America with his uh, colleague. And they were, you know, of course, France was in the midst of the of the new, uh, they'd ousted the king and there was the terror. 
uh, and then Napoleon uh, took it into empire. And then these guys were coming just out of that after Napoleon had, had transitioned out and, and they were now, why is America so stable? What is the deal with America? How can we bring those principles here to France? So that's why they came over for a couple of years to come and study uh, the American system. So his book is called Democracy in America, published in 1835. And there's a classic line where he says, America is the Englishman left to himself. No monarchy, no European wars and entanglements, no bankers, just left to himself. And it's like, wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty phenomenal statement. You know, he was basically... You know, he had all these takeaways, but his takeaway was it's a bunch of Englishmen left to themselves. We'll never achieve this. Pretty great. So, you know, then uh, 1790s, uh, you know, just a couple years into the new nation, uh, the Immigration Act or the Naturalization Act was limited uh, to a, a, a demographic that would assimilate and uh, contribute to harmony in the new nation. And even if you read the Seed of Albion of, of the four very different cultures of England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, uh, that, that settled the different regions of America, you know, you're like, wow, like this is technically a homogenous, it's a, it's a Anglo folk, you know, Scotch Irish folk, but there's so many differences even there. And, and that's the regional differences. You know, it's just amazing to see these, these differences, you know, and, and then you start pumping in very different cultures, like pumping them in, you know, when you look at, at population growth, it's astronomical, just, you know, slow build up, slow build up, boom, spike, 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 spike. There's no ways you can, you know, take it, take it to the level of this. You and your wife have a, have two or three kids. You know, you have a kid every two years. This is great. Your family's growing. You know, your brother uh, has a few kids. There's all the cousins, you know, everyone's getting to know each other over years. And then all of a sudden your dad adopts three other kids at full maturity with each of them have four or five of their own kids. Now family gatherings are like, like, whoa, okay. We have, well, do I know them? Like, can I trust them? Do we even speak the same language? You know, uh, we grew up with our dad smacking us for stealing. Did their dad smack them for stealing? Uh, can we share? Will they give it back? Like all these things are unknown. And so now this family went from high trust, high trust, high legacy, high inheritance to low trust, low legacy, low inheritance. Cause now you have to spread it all out amongst people who distrust each other. And that's the equivalent of what's happened on a, on a meta scale in America is the dad has just, I'm adopting you, 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 and you share everything with my real sons who I hate. So that's the metaphor. Right, chaps, well, have a great Easter weekend. Um, I hope you eat a lot of meat. And may the Lord bless you. May he bless your families. May he bless your economy. And uh, remember, chaps, your sons of a good father who loves you. Deuteronomy 28 is, uh, are the promises for you. And you're a king who Jesus is the king of, which means we have a, a mandate for dominion, for Christendom, Christendom, Christ's dominion. 
Love you, brothers. Take courage.